When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Today we come to the end of the letter to the saints at, at Philippi. And as we do, what I would love, and this is kind of a way of reviewing, but kind of a way of setting our hearts on what Paul's final words are, I want you to imagine the scene. So Paul is in a Roman prison. More than likely, it's, it's a, more of a house arrest type situation. He's not able to leave, not even close. He is in chains, and he's under guard. But as, we'll see, as we've seen, there are people who are able to come and go. They're able to come to him, bring him books that he likes to read. They're there writing this letter. And with him in this place, as Paul is there in, in chains, is his dear friend Timothy. It is highly likely that Timothy is the pen that writes this letter. Paul is the voice. Timothy is, is the pen. Remember when he started the letter, he said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. So him and Timothy sit there together, and Paul re- re- says to him, write this. And he speaks. Timothy writes it down. Koine Greek. All capital Greek letters, if you've ever seen capital Greek letters. No spaces between any of the words. No punctuation. It's just letter after letter after letter. That was the style of the day. On this parchment paper, writing it down. These words of love and affection and kindness and instruction for the saints of Philippi. Timothy was there, remember, we saw in week one. When we looked at Acts chapter 16, when the church at Philippi was born. Timothy was among those brothers who were there in Macedonia, who were there in Philippi. And so as they pen this letter, he must think back to that day they met Lydia beside the water and she confessed Jesus as Savior for the very first time. He remembers meeting that Philippian jailer who was saved when God sent an earthquake to rescue Paul and Silas from that prison. He remembers that demon-possessed girl who followed them around the town shouting out and then was miraculously changed by the power of God. He remembers those faces as he, as he writes this letter. He was there when this church was born. He'd seen the power of the gospel that we talked about weeks two through four. The power of the gospel to make us worthy before God. The power of the gospel that is impervious to suffering. Impervious to narcissism, we saw in week three. And not only that, but God can turn suffering and even narcissism into things that can help spread the power of the gospel. He had seen these people lay hold of the the fact that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. He had seen all of that with his own eyes, as Paul and Timothy write about it. Paul speaks and and Timothy writes when he writes about what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. We looked at that in weeks 5 through 7. 
those particular marks of being a kingdom citizen, unity, courage, a gospel view of suffering, shining brightly like stars in the universe, having invincible joy, knowing humility, in particular, the humility of Christ. Remember these beautiful words from chapter 2, verses 5 through 11? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I wonder if Timothy, when he finished, he said, that was good, Paul. That was good, right? Like as he writes it down, I don't know. I would have. Like, man. I wonder if Paul sang those words. I don't know. But he was there seeing the humility of Jesus. Paul and Timothy together, Paul speaking, Timothy writing, how wild must it have been when Paul decides that he wants to tell the Philippian church about two of his dearest friends, and Timothy's one of them. I wonder if Paul said, hey, I don't want you to write this about yourself. I'll write this part. I don't know. Timothy is there as Paul speaks of his dear friend, Timothy, the selfless servant, and Epaphroditus, the persevering partner. In week nine, Paul's words describe the supreme worth and power of Jesus, our only boast, chapter three, verses eight and nine. Indeed, I count everything, Paul said. I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Then Paul turned his attention to finishing. He said, don't quit, don't waver. Timothy scribes these words, chapter or 3, verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then last week, we saw a call to experience the non-anxious presence of Jesus. Not just to experience it, but to also embody it in our world around us that's filled with ambient anxiety, that we would experience the non-anxious presence of Jesus and become embodiments of that non-anxious presence presence and now in that moment as they sat there in Rome they prepared to pen the final words of the letter what are they going to talk about what's he going to speak to as he closes it out well he's actually finally going to address the catalyst of the letter the reason why he wrote it was to address the generosity of the Philippian saints so he's going to speak about their generosity the generosity of the saints at Philippi. And what we'll actually see is both what it looks like to be content and what it looks like to be generous. And we'll see that those are two sides of the same coin. This is how Paul finishes. Those who are content are generous. And those who are generous are content, just like Jesus. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. It's the wonderful name of Jesus we pray.
men. Paul starts with an example of contentment. An example of contentment is his own. Verse 10, he, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length, that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He'll describe their generosity here in just a few verses, but he previews it here. And what we'll see is that their generosity spilled out of their hearts, not their bank accounts. There is money and material things involved in their generosity, but it spills not from duty or um, guilt, but from joy and love in their hearts. Their hearts, Paul says, the concern in their hearts, he says, is blossoming once again. And not because they, they had not stopped loving Paul or desired to be generous to Paul, but they had had an opportunity. Epaphroditus was headed to Rome, and they had this opportunity to be generous with him, and so they, and so they were. But Paul wants to clarify something first, and he, he starts in verse 11 to talk about contentment. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, to be content. He says, he says, you came to me and you met my needs, but hear me today, saints at Philippi, Paul says, my needs weren't really needs because I have everything I need in Jesus. Again, this isn't him like ignoring the fact that he had physical needs, but what he is saying is, I have something that can make me content regardless of whether those needs are met or not met. Whether I have food or don't have food. Whether I have Epaphroditus sitting next to me to to tell me how you guys are doing or not, I am still content. I was not in need in the deep spiritual sense of the word. He was content with what he had. In other words, he His needs weren't needs. He had learned transcendent contentment. Contentment that transcended every situation. He says that in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, he says. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In the highest heights, the lowest lows, in every place in between. Like wedding vows, right? That's the promise we make to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. As long as we both shall live. And you know what I've learned in 14 years of marriage, and many of you have learned this in, in marriage as well, if you didn't already learn it before, but, but money comes and goes. Am I right? And health comes and goes. But in 14 years, my bride has been my constant. Our love has sustained through it all. And all the more, infinitely more rich is the never-ceasing love and presence of Jesus for our contentment. He goes, well, we don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. He may have written Hebrews. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews. But whoever did says this in Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free. He's talking about a call to commitment. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. And then he gives the reason why. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul had learned this lesson. 
Remember, Paul's in chains. Be content, why? Because you're free and not in chains? No, because Jesus is present with you. Be content because of the presence of Jesus. Paul's in chains. Death is always a possibility. The way he wrote this letter, if you remember some of the things, he hopes to come to the church at Philippi, but he doesn't know if he ever will again. He thinks he might die. Yet he is content, transcendent contentment. And and it is into this context of contentedness and generosity that one of the most famous verses of Philippians and and barely understood verses of Philippians is spoken. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Tim Tebow, remember that guy? When he was at Florida, he uh, would like sometimes put that verse like in his eye paint under his eyes. And maybe he made us all think that I can do all things through Christ meant I can win football games through Christ. Like maybe that's how we would apply that verse. I can win football games through Jesus. But then he went to the NFL and we realized that couldn't possibly be true. Because <laughs> he quit winning football games. Get it? Okay. But what it really meant is for Tim Tebow or for any of us that in winning or in losing, we can be content. I can do anything through Jesus, even be content in the most dire of circumstances. I can do anything with Jesus, even be content when I'm in chains. That's the context of that verse. Hear me today. You can win in Christ. You can lose in in Christ, and you can still be content. You can be healthy, you can be sick, you can get the job, you can lose the job, and Jesus still be content. You can birth the child, or bury the child, or never conceive the child, and still be content in Jesus. You can find healing or struggle, betrayal or renewal, fame or shame, COVID or cancer, cash flow or zero. That's my attempt at a rhyme. And still be content in Christ. That's the power of Jesus. You can be in Philippi with the saints or in chains in Rome and still be content in any circumstance. You can say thy kingdom come with contentment and satisfaction because of Jesus. That's where Jesus has brought Paul. Might he bring us there too? Deep contentment in the face of any circumstance or situation. In the face of the highs and the lows. Content in Christ. Paul moves from there to now an example of generosity. But here's the, the, re, the reason he does it this way. The gospel brings contentment, and out of contentment flows generosity. So he points to the saints of Philippi, and he says, look, they have shown us what it is to be generous. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you. I didn't feel need in some desperate sense. I'm satisfied with Jesus, whether you sent me anything or not. 
I'm still satisfied in Jesus. He wants them to know that Jesus is, he can pull that off in their lives. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He, he ain't talking about money yet. Okay? So if you think this is about money, it primarily isn't. He, he doesn't even mention money there. In fact, he's, spoiler alert, he's not going to mention it for all the verses. Instead, he talks about the posture of their heart. That's what's important. There's a word here, and it's in the next several verses in various forms. The word is, is koinoneo. It's like koinonia, which is a word for fellowship. It's koinonio. There's various forms of that same word here, and I love it because the word is do it together. He says, you have had a do-it-together attitude towards me. You have, you have had concern towards me and do-it-together attitude towards me from the start. He said, in my moments of distress, as I'm here in prison and as, as I'm um, alone in, in chains, you felt that in a do-it-together type of posture. Posture of do-it togetherness don't miss that by the way empathy can be generosity empathy can be generosity when is it expressed to someone in their distress right if you feel like speaking to someone in the midst of their distress saying that you see them that you believe them that you acknowledge their pain or their suffering or their loss. That's generosity. Speaking to people in their distress and, and, and reaching out to them and being together with them in their distress. That's what the church at Philippi did for Paul. And it meant a lot because, as you see in verse 15, not everybody else did. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. When I left, after Acts chapter 16, got ran out of town on a rail, and I left and went on, nobody else stepped up to partner with me except for you guys. He's still not talking about money, by the way. He's talking primarily about their do-it-together attitude. From the moment this church was planted in Philippi, the saints at Philippi had a do-it-together attitude towards Paul, even when nobody else did. Which brings us to these little slips of paper that are back on the Connect desk. I talked to a lot of church planters by God's good grace, and I talked to one this week who hasn't heard from his sending church in months. And the last time he did, he was the one that initiated the contact. And instead of being like, oh, what a stupid church. I'm glad we're not like that. I was convicted. I don't want us to be like that. I want us to be more like the church of Philippi, a do-it-together type of church. So I printed all these slips out. Our three different church plant families, they're on the connect desk back there. There's little note cards if you don't have any of your own to use. And like I said at the beginning, take those home. It's 
especially if you're a member or a regular attender of this church. Take those home. Write them a note of encouragement. Write a scripture verse in there. Write a prayer for them. Just tell them we're praying for them. Whatever it is. It can be seven words or 70 words. It doesn't matter. Participate in this. Especially if you're a member or a regular attender. And then bring those back next week. And we're going to package those up with a little gift. And we're going to send it off to our church planters. So they know we're with them. We have a do-it-together attitude towards them. This was a regular habit for the saints of Philippi, verse 16. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Multiple times you showed up. In Thessalonica, he, if you remember, some of you might, he, he works as a, as a tent maker there. The church doesn't pay him. He does bivocational ministry, which is just actually just only is paid by by his tent making, and, and the church of Philippi supports him in that. They know he has some needs, and so they, they send help to him there. This verse also, uh, verse 17, points us to the love that, that Paul has for them, his, his heart towards them. Verse 18, he says, For many, no, I'm, I went back a whole chapter, we don't want to do that. I have received full payment. No, 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 sorry. I skipped one. You guys got to keep, keep me in line here. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's my point, is that he shows his love for them because he wasn't, it wasn't about the gift to him. What it was about was that the gift revealed to him that the church of Philippi was so contented with who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing for them. They were so content with the kingdom of God, with the advance of the gospel, that they could freely give. That's what he said. He says, what excited me most was not the gift. It wasn't whatever came to me through Epaphroditus this time, or whoever it came through while he was in Thessalonica, or whoever it came from after his time in in Philippi the first time. It wasn't the gift. It was what the gift proclaimed. The gift proclaimed that the saints at Philippi were so satisfied with who Jesus was and and they were so satisfied with the kingdom of God that they could give freely. And that's exactly what they did. Which then brings us to verse 18, which is this last explicit statement about their generosity. He says then, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. If you read that in Greek, there's not a single word about money in there. Now hear me, I mean, because this is is the point. We'll get back to this here in a second. Money does flow, money's a part of this, I promise you it is. But Paul's point is about the heart. He says, I had your heart. Your heart was revealed. And not only that, but it was about worship. That's all, he's talking about their heart for him and their worship. He's saying the gift you gave me was a fragrant offering to the Lord. As, the king, as you said, we're so content to see the kingdom of God advancing. That's, that's what our lives are about, that we can give freely to the kingdom of God advancing. You not only blessed me because I'm excited to see your hearts transforming, but it was worshipful to the Lord. You're giving was worship, because when you give, you're saying, I don't need this, because I have Jesus. 
I'm so satisfied with who he is and what he is doing now and what he has promised to do in the future that I can freely give. It's about the heart. They are meeting his physical needs. Certainly. You can't read between the lines. If you read between the lines, it's explicit. They are meeting his material needs. Money is a part of that, unequivocally. But he talks about their heart, their love, their partnership. Your investing, my investing in anything, in particular if it's sacrificial investing in anything, will flow downhill from your heart. It'll follow your heart. It won't follow guilt. It won't follow shame. Maybe like, a, maybe like for a season it could. Like you could be guilted into maybe participating in something for a while. It won't last. Guilt won't do it. Shame won't do it. Religious requirements won't do it. Love will do it. The heart. And he had their heart. Do you love the kingdom? Do you love the kingdom of God? Do you love the advance of the gospel? Do you love the transformation of lives through the work of the church? When we baptized people whose lives were transformed by the gospel, was a part of your excitement, yes, I'm investing in something worthwhile because lives are being transformed. As you hear stories of people finding peace or healing or whatever through the church or maybe other ministries that you support, is that, again, does, that, does it register in your mind that makes it, it's worth it? It's worth it that I give my time at the Barbersville Community Outreach because lives are being transformed as a result of it, that I volunteer for whatever group it is, whatever nonprofit it is, or that I send money to this thing or that thing. Is, is what makes it worth it, not the alleviation of guilt, but the fact that the gospel or truth and kindness and goodness is advancing through it. That's the question. Are you content with thy kingdom come? If so, it's a no-brainer to invest your time and your talents and your treasures. So generosity flows from contentment. We're almost done. But contentment also comes from generosity verses 19 and 20, he says to the church at Philippi, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We've come full circle. He started by saying, from contentment flows generosity. If you believe the promises of God, if you believe the truth of the gospel, if you are content with the presence of God, then you will be generous. And now he says that as you're generous, it will breed more contentment. Reciprocal. Because as you practice giving things away, and you're reminded that it is a worthy investment to give of yourself for the kingdom you'll become all the more content with who Jesus is and what he's doing. And then he closes the letter. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. 
All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's my favorite verse, verse 22, of the whole book. He says, I greet you with love. And they felt it through the whole letter. He says, make sure you hug everybody. May I hug their necks? Let them know I love them. And not only that, but everybody who's writing this letter here, everybody that's here, Epaphroditus, Timothy, anybody else, they greet you as well, especially those of Caesar's household. We talked about this in one of the earliest weeks. This is beautiful. The gospel is infiltrating the empire. Gordon Fee, I read this, I think, week one or two, and I'll read it again since it's our final week here. Speaking of Paul, Gordon Fee writes, Let him loose, like give him freedom, and he will be among those who turn the world upside down for his Christ. Incarcerate him, too close to home, and he will turn Caesar's household upside down as well. This here is a word of encouragement to the Philippians in the midst of their present struggle. The word of life to which they hold firm has already penetrated the heart of the empire. He says, by the way, those of Caesar's household, right, who you would expect to live only by Hail Caesar, are now saying, Hail Jesus. <laughs> that is a worthy investment. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Verse 23, he closes where he left, or where he started. If you go back to Philippians 1, verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he finishes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Whose grace? Jesus Christ. Our generous Savior. Last verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Or, sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this. Speaking of generosity. That, through, that though he was rich, Jesus... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That is the example and the empowerment of generosity right there. Jesus Christ himself, right? Not just rich in the wealth of heaven, but rich in the worship of heaven. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation. He took all of his richness and he laid it aside and he became poor. He put skin on. He came to a place where they're going to rip out his beard and spit in his face. He came to a place where they were going to mock him. He came to a place where everybody at the tail end was going to desert him. And up till that, all but about a few, a handful of people were going to desert him and scorn him and mock him. He became poor. He became poor physically, giving his very life. Blood from his hands and feet spills out on the cross. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, your sins can be forgiven. You can be made rich because Jesus was made poor. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. All the promises of God, all the inheritance of Jesus, all the wealth that belongs to God, which is everything, yours. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
And it is only in that reality of future, infinite, extravagant inheritance that you today can say, I'm content and I'm generous. This wealth of grace is not just for our salvation, it is for our ongoing contentment and generosity. So here's your applications, and they're very simple. Be content. Oh, that's easy, right? You just do it. Just do it. Just go do it, okay? That's it. Just go be content. No, seriously, that's not easy work. I'm convicted by that. I'm challenged by that. I have a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do in that. But think of this question. Where do you feel a lack of contentment in your life? Maybe that's a good place to start. Where is it in your life right now that you feel a lack of contentment? And, and why do you think... Uh, and what do you think is driving you to that discontent? Maybe start there and, and, and then counteract it with thankfulness. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but we talked about this last week, like honestly, like like intentionally. And this is a great week to do it, right? It's Thanksgiving week. Uh, you kind of have to do it because it's in the name, right? But in all honesty, maybe go to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and read about who you are because of Jesus, if you're a Christian here today. Maybe circle every thing in there that applies to you because of Jesus. Maybe let that be your Thanksgiving list this week. I don't know for you, but might we be people who are growing in contentment, and then out of that might we be, be generous. Generous with our time and our talents and our treasures. Are you generous with your time? I'm not always selfish with mine. With my family... Even this week, there were times where I just felt this pressing need or uh, call to be present with my family as they were enjoying things or sharing things, and instead I chose my own selfish ends. Might I be more generous with my time? Might we be more generous with our time, with our neighbors, and with our church? Generous with our talents? Have you given intentional thought to your skills and talents and gifts and how you can leverage them for the good of others? for the good of the church, for the glory of God, and with your treasures. Listen, we're stepping out in faith. I never talk about money, but we're stepping out in faith with our budget in 2023. It's going to require people to be generous with their treasures. To see this church grow, move forward. Now, that's between you and God, 100%. You all know that. I ain't talking to anybody about money directly. But are our hearts, right? Like, I guess that's the point. I don't guess that's the point. I know that's the point. I don't care about dollar figures. I don't. None of us should in that sense. I care about our hearts. Are our hearts, do they belong to God? Do our bank ledgers and our schedules and our... um, evidence of how we use our skills and talents, do they proclaim to the world the beauty of Jesus to bring contentment to our hearts? Those people are generous with their time, talent, and treasures. They must, there must be something that satisfies them. Is that evidence? Does the way you invest your time, talent, and treasures display your desire for the world to taste and see that the Lord is good? We reflect the heart of Jesus in that way. Just like the saints of Philippi. What were they known for? Contentment 
and generosity. Might we be the same? Those who are content are generous. And those who are generous are content just like Jesus. Father, make us content. Might we not even, I mean in all honesty, might we not even move on to any sort of movement of generosity out of guilt or out of shame or out of um, a desire to look a certain way or anything like that. Might we be content. Might we see who you are. Might we see who we are because of what you have done through your son Jesus. Might we be content. Might we be content even in the ups and downs of this life. Make us people who are content. It's not easy. Difficult thing. That's why we're asking you, God who can accomplish great and mighty things on our behalf, make us content people. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. What we do now is we play music for exactly 120 seconds, and it might feel like an eternity, but it's an opportunity for you and your heart to... Pray or think or consider whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's working and leading in your life, and then we'll finish our gathering. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone, and we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.